The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 35, the You Will Never Believe What Story We Are Going to Lead Off With Tonight edition. You've reached Cigars and Sports Chicago, as we said. This is your place for both Chicago sports and cigars. I'm going to set the scene. Um, We are at The Place, 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. The place, in case you're wondering, it's a cigar lounge. It's a great place to hang out. You can smoke a cigar. You can watch a game. You can relax. You can do all sorts of great stuff, have great conversation. You might even run into uh, Phil or myself over there. You can also follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports. You can get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts, but you know that because you are listening to a podcast. I am smoking a LaFleur Dominicana El Jaco Perfecto number two after the White Sox just won today, although we're not talking about the White Sox first. And I'd like to bring in my partner, as always, Phil Sullivan. Phil, how you doing? What are you smoking? What's going on? How's everything going? Uh, everything's good. Springtime's here. Uh, baseball season's here, which uh, makes me very happy. we got some nice weather coming up. So I'm going to enjoy a uh, flathead cigar here that some of my friends at the place turned me on to. Kind of got me out of my normal routine and uh, starting to kind of enjoy them. So might be uh, a new uh, cigar in the rotation. The flathead. I'm not even familiar with that. Wow. I believe they're from Oliva. But it's a good cigar. I don't know. So, Phil, we got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. You know, we're going to obviously talk about the beginning of baseball season. We're going to talk about the White Sox. Who knows? Maybe we'll even talk about uh, the Bulls getting into the playoff, you know, the play-in. And, uh, you know, the the Bears are, you know, we may have some breaking news on them related to uh, playing a special road game. We're going to talk about the NCAA tournament. But you know what? The reason that this is called the You Never Know, You Will Never Believe What We're Going to Talk About episode is because we are going to start out and talk about what has now become your favorite subject, the women's NCAA tournament, being that you are now the huge fan of women's sports. And we're not going to talk so much about the game, although Caitlin Clark is one of the most amazing basketball players I've ever seen. I cannot believe how she just drains threes from everywhere. Just an incredible player. And it really was an entertaining tournament. The University of Miami made it to the Elite Eight, so I followed it a lot more than I might normally. And then the semifinal and the final, obviously, is what we're going to talk about. First of all, what were your thoughts about the women's tournament? And then we're obviously going to talk about the controversy having to do with Angel Reese. Caitlin Clark, and yes, believe it or not, Jill Biden. We're going to talk about this without politics. So, Phil, what did you think of the women's tournament? Do you enjoy it? And what's your thought on the controversy? Yeah, I you know I did enjoy it. I, as you know, I've never been a you know a huge fan of below the rim basketball, but I did you know get a little 
tuned to this only because I have a daughter-in-law from Iowa who happened to, you know, mention to me, hey, you got to check out this Iowa team. And I think they're in the Final Four. And uh, so we were all gathered together over the weekend. So uh, we sat down and watched some basketball. And uh, I was, uh, I don't want to say shocked at the level of play. It was just entertaining sports, just put it bluntly. It was uh, great to watch when they played South Carolina. Great game. Uh, it was the first time I had watched Caitlin Clark play basketball. And like you said, uh, a shockingly talented athlete. Great team. It's very fundamentally correct basketball, the way it's played by all teams. It was great to watch. A bit of an upset when they beat South Carolina, and then they went to play LSU. Another great basketball game. Uh, LSU, uh, you know, certainly pulled away at the end and uh, was the better of the two teams that day. I would love to see those two teams play a three- or five-game series. That would have been really cool to see. But, uh, yeah, and the way the game ended, uh, it, it got a little goofy there. Uh, Caitlin Clark has uh, uh, been known to be uh, what they said at the end, a world-class trash talker, which is part of sports, as we all know. Reese uh, kind of went toe-to-toe with her, but at the end of the game, I thought it got a little ugly. I thought things got a little uh, out of hand. I thought things were a little uncalled for in the sportsmanship world. I think there was taunting at the end. Uh, we certainly know there's sports yep. that uh, actually penalize you for taunting. Uh, trash talk, one thing. Taunting's another thing. But then I think things got a little uh, unnecessarily... Um, conversation of racism got brought in and I never once even thought of that. Go ahead, Steve. So for those of you who didn't watch this, and I'm sure that uh, many of you did, basically what happened is everyone was trash talking during the game. That's normal stuff. But at the end of the game, Angel Reese comes over and she's like pointing to her hand, showing, you know, showing Caitlin Clark where she's going to put her championship ring. She was basically in her face. The game was decided. It was about a 15-point game with a minute to go. So to me, I think where the the line is drawn is trash talking is one thing, but taunting is another. And clearly Angel Reese was taunting her. I don't care who says anything differently. She was. So to me, the, the question is, is taunting just fine? Because, for example, in the NFL, every single game you see a taunting penalty. So if taunting is a bad thing, which is what we're told by the NFL, then why is it bad in football, but it's okay in women's basketball? It, it really pissed me off. But then in her media availability, when she was saying, meaning Angel Reese, you know what, I'll do whatever I want, and I'm doing this on behalf of all the girls that don't have a voice and whatever, that's all fine. And then she's like, you know, she's speaking to the assembled media, and she's saying, you guys have been calling me ghetto, all that kind of stuff. I mean, like, I don't even know what guy she's referring to, because I don't think the media was saying that to her. And I just don't know who she was even referring to as you guys. And to me, this came down to, frankly, Coach Clown over there, you know, who was wearing that, you know, the outrageous outfit. And I get it. She's a terrific coach and has won four national championships. But it's pretty clear that the environment that she has created is this us against the world. Everyone thinks you guys stink. Everyone thinks that, you know, you guys are ghetto or whatever, you know, whatever it is that, you know, being the case. And by the way, 
I don't live in their life. I don't know what anyone says to them. But when she's talking to the assembled media, I don't think she was referring to them. And hey, if she was, I if they did say that, I apologize. But I, I there hasn't been anything that I've been able to find. It just really bothered me because there's a difference between trash talking and ultimately bad sportsmanship. And I just thought it was bad sportsmanship. I personally don't think it had anything to do with race because if Caitlin Clark, you know, would have been taunting her or would have been taunting somebody. Yes, I think she would have gotten the exact same crap. And I think it would have been a really bad look. So I, I don't know. I, it just... It bothered me. I mean, I guess ultimately it's good for women's college basketball. It was troubling. Yeah, and that's the way I felt about it. I thought it was, you know, a great sporting event, uh, a great tournament. It was watched by 10 million people. 10 million. Um, you know, it's more than the World Series. It's, it's just incredible. You know, and then to just to have to have it end bringing in a tinge of racism and a tinge of just, like you said, stupid comments. When she said that, you know, she's talking to the press, says, you all say I'm ghetto, you all. Who all is you all? Show me the article. Show me the video. Show me something. Guarantee it wasn't said. Fully agree with you. If it came from anywhere, it came from that coach. That's my opinion. And it was a shame that, that this thing put a little bit of a black eye. I know some people will look at it as it's great. It's great for the game. Just, you know, come up with another way to make the game even greater without injecting racism. I think it was unnecessary and it was stupid on her end. Well, you know, my take on it is, too, is that I don't, again, I don't live in Angel Reese's shoes. I don't know what anyone said to her. And I'm sure she's dealt with, you know, difficult situations. I'm sure she's dealt with racism. But I just thought the way that she went about it, you know, was not great. But then... The next, oh, the other thing that, that all the players were saying and talking about the coach was that, you know, every player to a woman was saying, oh, and nobody gave us a chance. Nobody thought we could do in this tour anything in this tournament or whatever. What are you talking about? You guys were a three seed. So you were theoretically one of the favorites to win the tournament. So, no, people were not saying you can't win the tournament because if that were the case, you would have either not been in it or you would have been a – 16 seed or whatever the case may be, nobody was doubting that LSU was a really great team. Okay, but let's go to the controversy. The next night, Jill Biden makes this ludicrous... Doctor, doctor. Doctor Jill Biden, Biden, who, by the way, um, generally speaking, I really like, and I stopped liking her after this, but um, Dr. Jill Biden uh, made this point that, oh, we're going to have both LSU and Iowa you know, at the White House, and I will tell you, that was the most politically unifying moment in the history of the United States in the last 30 years, because everyone was tweeting the same WTF. What do you mean you're going to have the losing team? And she's saying, oh, it's because of sportsmanship, and Iowa played such a great game or whatever. No, Iowa didn't play a great game. They got their ass kicked, first of all. And you know what? They had a great season, but that honor should be given to LSU and LSU alone. So then the next day, which was yesterday, then, you know, Jill Biden's press secretary walks it back and they sort of pretend that she didn't say it. And they tweet that, you know, we're looking forward to having LSU at, you know, at the White House with no mention of Iowa. And then, of course... And you pointed this out to me, and yes, I looked. I I then read it afterwards. Then, of course, they ask Angel Reese, "What do you think?" 
and she starts tweeting that she is not even going to the White House because she wants to go to the Obama's house. So it's like, come on, just stop, just stop. Well, she did not say she wanted to go to the Obama house. She said she, she was said, going. I'm going. I'm going. Well, you know, note to you, Ms. Reese, you aren't invited yet. So, yeah, I mean, just come on. Knock it off. Stop it. The whole thing was just a mess. But, I mean, back to the game and the sport. I'm thrilled for women's sports. I'm thrilled for women's basketball that this thing has brought, you know, what was a very exciting. The two games I saw were pretty exciting, and I'm sure I'm going to tune into it next year because, uh, you know, Miss Clark, uh, if people don't realize it, Earns anywhere from what they say, anywhere from about four to seven million dollars a year with NAL money. That's a nice chunk of change. She's actually got two years of eligibility left. Why in the world would she want to hurry up and get to the WNBA, you know, to make two hundred thousand a year? So uh, I think there's at least one, maybe two more years of pretty exciting basketball if she and some of these other, you know, great players. What I saw in South Carolina, what I saw in LSU, stick around. Certainly, uh, women's college basketball is going to get some viewership next year just because of last weekend. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was terrific. And by the way, Angel Reese is a really great player. And, you know, it's sort of unfortunate that this whole thing had to happen. And by the way, just going back to Jill Biden, you know what? I was able to forgive her when she made out with Doug Emhoff, the first gentleman at the State of the Union. But you know what? Now that she's inviting losing teams to the White House for losing a game, now even I have to be mad at Jill Biden. All right, so let's let's wrap up that. So what did you think of the men's tournament? How was that for you? Obviously, it was a uh, you know it was tough for me. The University of Miami, you know, was in the Final Four. They got crushed by. Uh, UConn in the semifinal, uh, spent a lot of money sending my kids there, and they had a great time. But, you know, what you, would you think of the men's tournament? What you think of the finals? Uh, what's your take on that? Well, the tournament was like none you've seen in a long time. All your blue blood teams were gone. Uh, it was great to see, you know, a lot of these uh, five, six, eight seeds win, to see it start off with a 16 seed, uh, knocking down another uh, – uh, a Big Ten pretender, as most of the time the Big Ten ends up in this uh, tournament. But to see him knock out Purdue uh, is always exciting. It's it's a, a big reason why people watch this tournament, to see the lower seeds pull off these upsets. It's certainly why a lot of gamblers put money into this tournament to see if they can hit on the big one. But it was a great tournament. I think seeing these uh, mid-seeds get as far as they did, I think is going to uh, play out in the years to come with the relatively new transfer portal being allowed, allowing these players to just switch schools at any time. I think you're going to see uh, some of these mid-range schools do very well moving forward because uh, you're going to see some of these kids that are uh, going to transfer from one school to another. If they, you know, they might be a uh, McDonald's All-American that finds themselves all of a sudden not starting at a Duke. So now they're going to go to uh, San Diego State, let's say, because of the weather or because they like a coach, and you're going to see some of these teams do well. I think the kids that might get hurt from this transfer portal, not to go off base from the tournament, is uh, maybe these high school seniors, some of these kids that thought maybe they'd get a shot being a starting guard somewhere, and they're going to grab it. Maybe that team is going to grab a kid that's a sophomore somewhere else that's already proven himself. But I think it's going to be the future of the tournament. Believe it or not, it's just going to get better. It just might not be seeing North Carolina, Duke, and Kansas, and Kentucky in the Final Four uh, as frequently as you used to see them. I enjoyed it. And by the way, when you said that all the Blue Blood teams were out, does that mean that you don't consider UConn to be a Blue Blood team? 
Uh, yeah, UConn is right up there. Don't get me wrong, but in the in recent past, they have not been, you know, a uh, talked about team in the tournament. But they're a good team. I mean, they certainly proved it in the final. They're a great basketball team. They deserve to win that tournament. Don't get me wrong. That coach Dan Hurley is one of the most charismatic human beings that I have ever seen. He that guy is pretty likable to me. He is a he is quite a personality and quite a basketball coach. And I think is going to have quite a long and successful career doing that. Or if he goes into the media or whatever the case may be, I mean, the guy's already a great coach, but he's just he is a charismatic dude. So well, you know, he came he came from a long line of it. Yeah. You know, obviously his father was a was the uh, very successful high school coach. Uh, I forget, I believe it was a Catholic school in New Jersey uh, that he made his fame at. Um, and, of course, his uh, brother Bobby uh, yep. having the success he had at Duke. But, yeah, it's a basketball family. But I love the way he carried himself. I love the way he coaches. Uh, I think he's got a great future ahead, and I think you're going to see a lot of them, that's for sure. All right, let's go to baseball. So, before we start talking about the White Sox, and I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about there, uh, what is your take on the new baseball rules, you know, the pitch clock, the bases, the eliminate the shift, you know, what's your what's been your take on the rules thus far? As far as I'm concerned, no-brainer. Games have been shorter, more, more stolen bases. You know, I, I actually was so, somewhat of against banning the shift because I thought it was too much legislation. Now I really like it. Uh, what's your take on the whole thing? You know, I think it's great. I think that, you know, the, the size of the bases is, uh, you know, that's unrecognizable. I mean, if you saw the bases, they are. Don't get me wrong. But as far as the impact on the game, the biggest thing is there's no doubt about it, that pitch clock. The pitch clock is, I think it's phenomenal for the game. I think of all the changes they made, that one is great. Seeing these games getting done in two hours and 15 minutes, give or take a few, is uh, great for the game. It, you watch the whole game now. You, you know, fans don't leave the stands early. You've pointed that out, Steve. There's no other sport like it where fans leave early. You don't see fans walking out of an NBA game in the third quarter. You don't see them leaving a hockey game at the end of the second period. Well, you don't uh, see the so. majority of them walking out. That's the issue. Like Correct. in baseball, Correct. unless it's like a really close game or whatever the case may be, in the past, you see people walking out of, the, like, everyone's walking out of the game. You have a small smattering of fans a lot of times at the end of the game, particularly on a weeknight. And I will tell you, I was at opening day. I was at the White Sox home opener, that horrible 12-3 game against the Giants. And, you know, it was the bottom of the eighth. And, you know, it was whatever it was, 9-1 to one at the time or whatever. And my son is like, oh, you want to go? It was the bottom of the eighth. And I'm like... Do we have to go? I mean, we got one more inning. Usually, it's like the sixth inning or the latest, the seventh inning stretch, and I'm ready to get out of there. But these games, like, has, they have such a good rhythm. It's not even just the length of the game, just such a good rhythm. It's just really, really good. I mean, I, I love it. I've been so happy with it. I mean, it's difficult to find a game that's been longer. That It's been very difficult to even find a game that's been three hours. You know, I've been looking at the time of all these games. I'm looking at it right now. All these games are like 225, 235, something like that. I mean, the White Sox had a long game today, and it was like 250. 250 would be a short game last year. So, yeah, it's been fantastic. Moving on to the White Sox, I want to talk to you about your early takes on that. I want to sort of throw this out to you in the context of positives and negatives, and then we'll come back to you for some comment on this. 
So the positives, you know, first of all, and I'm going to start with an intangible, the manager, you know, you take a look at the team, they seem to be playing harder, they seem to be more fundamentally sound, they seem to be running balls out, I mean, like you noticed that ball today, that Benintendi ran out in the seventh inning and, you know, beat the throw at first base, you know, you take a look at Moncada, who is playing out of his mind right now, his, the improvement in his body language, but then let's look at some other positives. Luis Robert has been phenomenal so far. The guy, you know, has got a 963 OPS. He's got a couple home runs. You know, he's had, uh, you know, he's hit the ball well. He has made already three absolute premium gold glove plays. The guy's winning a gold glove in the first week of the season. Um, Dylan Cease was good again today. He's been really good as we, uh, you know, as we expected. I think the defense has been better. The starting pitching has been good, except for Kopech, who was terrible. You know, we were another positive is Clevenger. Say what you want about the person, but you know, in his first outing, he looked really good. You know, we'll see how that goes. As far as actual statistics, the White Sox. Uh, oh, Mancada, talking about him. I didn't go into that enough. Guys hit two home runs. You know, he's got a 1.302 OPS. He's hitting 440. Guys out of his mind. It looks like he's enjoying the game. But the White Sox are leading the major leagues in extra base hits. They are leading the major leagues in doubles. They are second in the American League in batting average. They are first in the American League in hits. So they are hitting the ball. The pitching has not been really as good, but it's been good enough. I mean, particularly the starting pitching. But let's go to the negatives here real quick, and then we'll talk about this. The bullpen has been bad. Ronaldo Lopez, you know, he had that first save, then he had some struggles in his second game. I feel pretty good about him. You know, the bullpen in general has not been good. Joe Kelly did not look good today. Um, Another negative. Guess what? Surprise. Aloy Jimenez goes on the disabled list today, the injured list. So we're going to lose him for two or three weeks. So that hasn't started. It does appear that we've left a lot of guys on base, but that may be an anecdotal function of how many guys on base they've had, because I just looked it up and they're actually second with runners in scoring position in the American League. So I might be wrong about that. Oh, by the way, as far as the positives go, I also didn't mention Vaughn. He's been really good. He's been, he's a midget, but he's been great. Another negative, Kopech was absolutely horrendous. Aloy was not hitting even before he got hurt. Here's another negative, the record they're three and three. Let's just be honest. Last year they were 81 and 81. You know, so they're gonna have to be better than 500. And I know they played the Astros, whatever. Got to win some more games. Andrus and Benintendi have really not started hitting a lot yet, and I'm very worried about the starting pitching depth. But what's been your take on the uh, on the White Sox so far? Well, I mean, you touch base on pretty much anything I would have talked about. But uh, yeah, the things that worry me. It's easy to look at the positives, and you certainly named them all. Negatives, uh, harking back to the last 8, 10 years of watching White Sox baseball, you know, the leaving runners on base, like you said, is is that anecdotal from, you know, you're getting a lot of hits, so by default you're going to have a lot of guys on base. But, yeah, the uh, not getting that two-out hit, uh, you know, always bothers me, how they can get all those hits and then not get the hit with two outs. So that's kind of a bothersome thing, but that's uh, hopefully that'll get uh, corrected. You just keep hitting the ball. One thing I noticed in the six games that I've watched um, that I thought, oh, my God, I didn't think it could get as bad, but I think the White Sox 
probably last year had the worst third base coach in the history of the game. I've already seen the new guy make three dumb mistakes this year. Uh, he's waved mm-hmm. guys on that you know you know shouldn't even have been close to being sent home. You know that leads to a preponderance of injuries or the possibility of injuries. These guys have to slide. They have to. You know, it's just ridiculous. You know, but that could uh, extrapolate into a, uh, if you take uh, three bad mistakes in six games, how many is it for an entire season? You know, that kind of bothered me. That stood out to me when I saw that. And then, of course, Kopech, you know, his outing, uh, was he tipping pitches? Something's wrong there. For them to tag him for five homers, four in one inning, you know, they were just teeing him off. And uh, so there was something there that they better majorly fix in that guy, and they better fix it quick. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with him because he looked good in the first inning. And, you know, everyone's talking about tipping pitches. We don't know that. So I don't want to overdo that. And, you know, I was at the game, so I didn't really see, I didn't get the same view that you get on TV and see the break on the ball and that sort of thing. But, I mean, the guy could not get anybody out. And as your point, it wasn't even about getting people out. Everyone was hitting the ball out of the ballpark. And, you know, you mentioned the four home runs in one inning. It was really five. Because if you recall, Luis Robert made a play over the wall to take a home run away from Jock Peterson. So he really gave up six home runs. But but the thing is, Kopech was so bad that it almost gives me optimism that something was just wrong. Like, meaning, I don't think he's going to go out there and do that every time. Although, if he does that one or two more times, I think you got to figure out what you're going to do with him because you can't send him out there like that. I mean, so yeah, it was one outing. Every pitcher has, you know, a horrendous outing every once in a while. If you go up and down the, the White Sox rotation, we can all remember, you know, an outing where a guy just got bombed. But it was a bad time to do it. But there is clearly something wrong there. And, you know, you mentioned that, that third base coach, coach issue. Guy probably needs to know his know his players a little bit better because today he sent Vaughn and we all know that although Vaughn you know I'm glad we have Andrew Vaughn he's off to uh, you know really nice start he's got an eight, you know an 8.38 OPS he's driven in five runs so far leading the team which by the way puts him on a pace to have about 140 RBIs so we can't complain about that he made a really really outstanding play at first base today that diving play so you know been really happy with him but we all know that Andrew Vaughn cannot run. I think either of us could outrun Andrew Vaughn, so to send him in that situation is crazy. And I don't like that cover, you know, covering when they say, oh, well, you know, we don't mind. We want to have a guy be aggressive or whatever. There's a difference between being aggressive and being stupid, and sending Andrew Vaughn in that situation was not a good move. Hopefully these guys will get to know their players better. It's the first week of the season. But, yeah, that wasn't good. The other thing is, too, another reason that I'm optimistic about Grafal is I like the way, you know, I mentioned the bullpen as a weakness, but today is a specific example. I really like the way he managed that game, because if you recall, so there were two guys on in the seventh. Aaron Bummer was doing his usual thing where he was unhittable, but he was struggling to throw strikes. Runners on the corners, they were only up by three at the time, so the so the tying run comes to the plate. Two outs, and he brings in Ronaldo Lopez. Well, R- Lopez has been, 
you know, has been his closer in the early going here. So it seemed like an unusual time to bring him in. But analytics would tell you when you need to get one out in a high leverage situation, you know, bring in the guy who is is your best guy to get that one out and that's exactly what he did he used lopez to get you know to get that one out and in fairness he walked a guy it got a little scary there and then he you know he struck out jock vaughn actually with the with the bases loaded but i thought that was really good use of the bullpen i then expected him to go back to lopez in the eighth but because he was then up seven to one you know he went to uh, Jimmy Lambert in sort of a low leverage situation with a guy who's, you know, very average. And then he threw Joe Kelly in in the ninth. So I just subtly like the management of the bullpen. It also shows me that the guy is getting to know his pitchers really well because the facts are, I know we're not major league managers, but the White Sox have a very similar bullpen with, with the exception of maybe one guy to last year. So we know these guys. And, yeah, he put Diekman in in a high-leverage situation the first time, but it's pretty clear based on how he used Diekman the second time that he knows, like we know, that Diekman stinks. And he also did, you know, he's not going to take any chances with Aaron Bummer walking guys. So I, I like that. I like this guy. He seems intense. But, again, there's, they're 3-3, three and three, so they're not off to a bad start. They're not off to a great start. It's very, very early. But I felt pretty good about things. Yeah, I did too. You know, the only other thing today I noticed, you know, the uh, first game last week against Houston, uh, Dylan Cease probably had one of the most masterful pitching performances I've ever seen. And, oh, really? and I, I mean that. He, it, it was, he was masterful. And then to see him come out today and look, uh, quite frankly, very civilian, uh, back to his days of walking a lot of people, when last year, of course, he was second in the Cy Young voting, he consistently put three, four games in a row together of very good outings. Uh, so I expected today for him to come up out and follow up that performance on opening day. Uh, certainly, you know, he may never master that uh, or, or, or duplicate that performance, but I thought he'd be right up there with it. And uh, once again, he came out looking very civilian. So I hope he gets over that hump. Uh, they're certainly going to need him to put on another uh, side young uh, award looking year. But uh, we'll see how he comes back the next time. Well, Phil, you make an you make an amazing point because if if this is bad for Cease, then I'm pretty happy with it because today he went five innings, one hit, five walks, eight strikeouts. The one hit was a home run. So it w- except for that, he he basically didn't give up any hits except for that home run. ZRA is still at one fifty nine. And, you know, but to your point about walking guys, he did lead the major leagues in walks last year. So that was an issue when he walked five today um, through 99 pitches in five innings, which is a ton um, and only 52 for strikes. So clearly he was having difficulty finding the zone. Guys were not able to hit him either. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling really good about Cease. I'm feeling good about Lance Lynn. And we'll just have to see what happens beyond that, because Giolito was okay in that first outing. He gave up three runs over five innings. He was fine. Clevenger was good. Um, he gave up no runs over five innings, but I don't think that you know we can necessarily expect that to be sustainable from Clevenger. And then obviously we've talked about Kopech. But the thing that bothers me about that rotation is that what is going to happen 
when when a guy gets hurt, or God forbid, if you have to replace Kopak, or if you have two guys out, I mean, you're going to have to go to, uh, you know, Davis Martin and Charlotte. I guess. I mean, they've got they've got no rotational depth at all. Yeah, you're right. They uh, <laughs> once again, it's early in the season. The depth is definitely an issue. And back to Cease, when I said civilian, I don't mean average civilian pitching outing. I'm just saying following up what he did last year. Yeah, for him. For him, Uh, Like you said, a lot of his numbers today would be great numbers for any pitcher. The walks is the thing and the amount of pitches he had to throw. This is what I thought. It made him look a little uh, less stellar. Yeah, the pitching staff, you know, the biggest thing I saw in the first week uh, that stood out was obviously the Kopech performance. Uh, I did notice he did slice off the man bun. Uh, so, you know, hopefully that didn't have nothing to do with it because it would probably take him a while to grow that thing back. You know, all joking aside, uh, I hope they can correct what he was doing wrong because there's no doubt in my mind he was tipping pitches. Somebody knew something because they were... Well, they, what happened were, uh, with Samson? What happened with Samson when he cut his hair? I mean, that did not work out well. And hopefully it's not the right, same thing right. with Kopech because he buzzed that thing, man. And I am very, very, now we're making religious references on uh, Cigars and Sports Chicago. But uh, hopefully the same will not happen to Kopech. And uh, I can just tell you, being where I sit behind uh, the White Sox dugout, uh, he was not happy as he was coming in after that inning where he gave up the four home runs. And I got to hear it from his own mouth. He was not pleased with that outing. What have been your thoughts on Oscar Cola so far? Oh, Oscar Colas is, uh, I, I think he's doing phenomenal. I really is. I think for a rookie to come in and doing what he's doing so far, I think the coach has given him, obviously, every opportunity to see what he's doing. I think the game the other day, they had him, he let him bat with a lefty-lefty matchup. I think they wanted to just to see how he would do with that. Uh, I like that, that the coach is letting him stay in there. I think the guy's going to be around. I think he's going to be a good player. Yeah, I, I feel pretty good about him. I mean, he hasn't hit for any power yet. He's got six hits, um, one double, but, you know, he looks pretty good in right field. There were a couple of balls, I thought, in that first series, a little bit weird where, you know, he could have potentially charged and and caught them, and he let them drop in front of him just for the purpose, I guess, of keeping the ball in front of him. But he looks competent out there. He actually made a good play today, sort of backing up Robert on that ball that was hit off the wall that Robert didn't have the angle to play it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm very optimistic about him, and I'm just glad that we haven't had to see any non-outfielders out there. You know, and now Jake Berger got called up today, so I guess we're going to see a platoon of Sheets and Berger um, at DH, which uh, should be interesting here why Aloy is out until he comes back and then until he goes out hurt again. But, you know, I was looking forward to having this, uh, doing this podcast tonight and having nobody hurt yet, but that unfortunately did not come through. Well, another thing we didn't touch base on that that came out today uh, that I hope uh, gets dealt with by Grafal and and ends quickly was, uh, you know, Tim Anderson's uh, self-centered, bonehead, stupid personality came out today. And if you watch the game, he uh, was in the box and gave kind of a half-assed wave to the ump and stepped out of the box. Uh, the ump proceeded to let the pitcher throw the ball and, uh, you know, called a strike on Anderson. Anderson seemed to mouth off a little bit to the pitcher, I think looking, referring like, uh, you know, you shouldn't have thrown that pitch as a courtesy. You should you saw me step out of the box. And then as he mouthed off more when he was in the dugout, 
the ump took offense to it. Uh, Tim Anderson screamed that he wasn't mouthing off to him. He was mouthing off to the pitcher. But once again, he got himself thrown out of the game, hurts the team, uh, doesn't do any good. Uh, it's just a bad look and a bad move, and it's just another childish chapter in his career that needs to, he's got to put an end to that because it does not help this team. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was very selfish. I mean, he originally was calling timeout, although as the player you don't call timeout, the umpire does. And then the umpire did not grant him time because the pitcher had already started his motion. And it's like, dude, just deal with it. I mean, you're getting thrown out of the game. You're hurting the team. So I, I think that's a good good call by you. I agree that he's got to stop doing that because this guy's been suspended and thrown out of games or whatever. It's like, just get in there and help the team win, you know? So two uh, two quick things. Uh, the Bulls have made the uh, plan. It looks like they're going to be ninth or 10th unless they win these last three games. And then um, I would assume that they will then lose um, and not make it into the playoffs. And, uh, you know, that was a disgusting loss against Atlanta last week. But here's a little breaking news. It has just been leaked. It is not officially announced. I guess it will be over the next couple of days, but I've looked at a variety of news reports since we've been um, recording this podcast on Wednesday evening that it appears that the Kansas City Chiefs opponent in Germany, when they play the Germany game this year, uh, is going to be the Chicago Bears. So we're going to have the world champion Chiefs against the Bears in Germany, and uh, that should be pre- pretty exciting because I am – but 99% sure that I will go, being that I have a uh, very unusual uh, Chiefs family here, um, except for myself. So that should be interesting. Any any thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's good. I think it's fantastic for the game. Uh, yeah, I think the Bears uh, travel well, uh, as you know. Uh, I uh, attended the last Bears Europe game. I went to yep. the Bears game in London in 2019. Fortunately, right before COVID hit. Uh, so it was just an awesome experience. Uh, the fans traveled well there. They played the Raiders. I couldn't believe how many Raider fans were there from California. Uh, it was a great experience. Um, I certainly would do it again in a heartbeat. I don't think I don't know if I'll pull off going this fall, but uh, who knows what could happen between now and then. But uh, if you're going, you're going to love it. It's a great fan experience. The towns do a great job. Uh, London, they had bear bars. They had Raider bars. They had all kinds of party things in town. It was uh, it was a great weekend. It was a lot of fun to go see. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty cool. So uh, you know, what was that game in October when you went to it? Yeah, I believe it was late October. We went there. The weather was was really nice um, for London. Yeah. Anyways, it didn't rain, and it was uh, well, temperature wise, it was great. It was in that brand new Tottenham Stadium, which was yeah. an awesome experience there. A great, great, great stadium to see an event in. So we had, we had a great time. Well, I was not going to go with them if it was, uh, you know, if it was not the Bears. But obviously, there's no way that I can not go now. So I'm going. Phil, that is uh, Cigars and Sports Chicago episode uh, 35. We done. Thank you very much. Appreciate cool. it. You're great. Out. Go Sox. Nature 
Rolling in the rushes down by the riverside.